This morning we'll be reading from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. And it says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the reading of God's word. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Kim. This. Good morning again, everybody. My name's Sean. If I don't know you, I'm moving that. So I don't know if that you need to mute something, but um, uh, welcome. Uh, so if you don't know anything about who we are, Redemption Church is one church, ten different congregations. Um, you might have questions about how we work. Each congregation is elder-led, lead pastor-led, and so we'd love to help you navigate. Any questions you might have in any of that, um, we'll, myself or any of the elders will be able to uh, be by the Connect desk to connect with you. Um, I want to pray real quick, and then I'm going to catch us up. If uh, you haven't been with us, we've been in the book of Ephesians since uh, the beginning of the year, and we've kind of been just, not kind of, we have been going verse by verse, chapter by chapter, very intentionally, and we're hitting a, a section of scripture that requires um, some explanation, and so um, I want to make sure I do that really well. So let me pray for us first, and then uh, we'll jump in. Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for who you are. Thanks for worship um, as a, really a, a reminder of, of who we belong to, but just as a community um, where we belong, and uh, we're grateful for it. We pray, God, as we go to a time in looking at your word, we would recognize it's really the only thing that can give us faith. It's the thing that can make us wise into salvation. It's the thing that can rebuke us, exhort us, encourage us, and train us in righteousness, as we always pray that you would continue to use this to uh, cut deep uh, at the idols of our heart. Um, yeah, help us. Thank you for this passage. Be with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just state one obvious thing? I would have much rather had Josh Miles be wearing the All of Life besides Sean, because he looks like Superman, and then I get up here and it's like, hey guys, my name's Sean. Um, <laughs> dirty snake, I should have known. Um, all right, so here, here's where we're at. The first chapter of Ephesians, uh, in chapter 1 there, we talked a lot about salvation, the study of salvation. We talked about what it looks like from God's perspective. Um, We talked about the bigness of Christ and his church. And as Ephesians chapter 2 turned, it made this change to go, here's who Jesus is, and here's you are. You, you are dead in your trespasses. And And it still began to lean into salvation, but what it did is it talked about where you were before Jesus Christ. So you remember that? Where you were before Jesus Christ. There you were, you were dead. And then it goes into, he made you alive, and then he's called you now to live. And from that point, at the back half, verses 8, 9, and uh, 10 in chapter 2, what Ephesians is going to do from this point on is it's going to propel us with direction as to what that looks like and what it means to be the workmanship of God. It's going to put practical things on the table that we have to wrestle with, with marriage, spiritual uh, uh, warfare, but first and foremost, there's a, a section in here that we are in the middle of, and we started with last week, a little three-week section on race and racial reconciliation, and, 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 and what I tried to do my best is, is really setting the table, is making a declaration, this passage is about Jews and Gentiles, do not the, the emails that have come in and the Facebook messages, I can work through as long as we're in this together. And I can get past all that, but it felt like it continued to kind of go, hey, this passage is about Jew and Gentile. And I want to 
like declare, I know this passage is about Jew and Gentile. What I tried to do up front last week is say, okay, right now, I don't think there's a lot of animosity between Jew and Gentile in our culture. I don't think that's the top thing. So if we're going to deal with racial reconciliation, what I try to put in front of us in our context, and I said it would not be the same in Romania, it would not be the same in the Philippines, it would not be the same in Rwanda, but in our context, the most animosity, the, 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 the most heat coming off of the, the certain races that are, are not getting along, and there, there seems to be a, a divide, a dividing wall of hostility, it seems to be between minorities and majority culture, or blacks and whites. Now, this is also true. I'd also put within uh, not just blacks representing minority culture, but Hispanics and Asians, anyone that is a minority culture within the major culture. And so the reason I did that was not to like set off some millennial liberal agenda, as it's been said a couple times, but, but rather just put in front of us what we've got to wrestle with in this. Okay, so that's what we did last week. And there's a couple things if you want to go back last week and and, and listen to some things that I think are going to set us up well, we, we would vehemently um, put in front of you that this is part of the gospel, that we've understood the gospel as this us between God, but that is, that is a small truncated version of the gospel. The gospel's restoring, Jesus Christ is restoring all things, and that, uh, uh, that includes uh, issues of race. And so just know that as we've kind of gone into this, because now what we're going to do for the next two weeks um, and just an FYI, for the next six weeks, I'm really excited. You're going to hear from all the elders over the next six, six weeks. You're going to hear from John a few times. Uh, I'll actually be in there, Vince, Jim. And so we're going to be going through different topics and all of that. But for the next two weeks, for sure, what you're going to find is uh, today, we're going to see, well, what does it look like? If, if the church is supposed to be the place where re- racial reconciliation is to go, oh, that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. If that's where it's all supposed to land is that in the church then what we want to do is ask in this passage, as, as we read it, it gives us answers, well, how? How do we do this? And then, and then next week, you're going to see there's a core truth in undergirding that how. Now, you've already probably turned your Bibles to um, Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to read first from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, okay? If you're not familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it's um, the, the passage that has been used. If you're raised in the church, you're probably familiar with it. It's the, what should the eye say to the foot, the foot say to the hand, and it gets into spiritual gifts. I mean, you have Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4 are all these spiritual gifts. Well, in this passage, Paul's laying down uh, to the Corinthian church, everyone needs to be involved. But there's some language in there that I think is going to help us understand uh, what we talked about last week a little bit and going into this week, okay? So um, I want to read it. I believe I have it on the screen for you. I want to read 12, 14 through 24. And I'm just going to point out two quick things that I want you to see the way the body is and the way the body should be um, uh, operating, okay? Look at verse 14 in 1 Corinthians 12. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if an ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts 
yet one body. So easy, simple kind of exegesis. God has put his body, his people together, and we all need each other, right? So, so it's all different parts. Some an ear, some an eye, some a nose. Then he goes on to verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, are in, uh, indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our on, uh, unrepresentable uh, parts, sorry, are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. Now, here's what I want you to look at, okay? In the first section, uh, can you go back a slide? In the first section, we, we can see a statement being made by the body, okay? And then we can see the juxtaposition of that same exact statement by the body. Here's the first statement that's being said by certain parts of the body. I don't belong. I don't belong in this body. Now, on the other side, there's other parts of the body, go to the next section, that are not saying, they're hearing them say, I don't belong, and they're saying, you don't belong. I have no need of you. So on one side, there's this declaration, man, I don't feel like I belong here. I don't feel like I'm needed. And on the other side, there's this declaration from the same body. You're right, you don't belong. You're not needed here. Now, this, um, this as a, like a course we're reading through 1 Corinthians 12 may not be the main point, but I think it's important because though we don't get to break down 1 Corinthians 12 here, there's an obvious indication that as we practically apply what 1 Corinthians 12 is getting at um, in this idea that some parts of the body are saying, I feel like I don't belong. I feel like, uh, man, there, there's a, a language that I don't know. There, there's an ethos. There's a way to dress. There's certain things to do. And then this other side is saying, you're right. There, there are certain things. There is a certain way to dress. There are certain things that you need to do. You don't, need, you don't belong here. I, I don't need you. And, and here, here's what I want to put in front of you. That's not just the Corinthian church. That's not just the Corinthian church. There are giftings. Um, there's demeanor. There's actions. There's um, conversations that certain parts of the body feel like they can't have. They feel like they don't belong because they don't speak the language. And then there are other parts of the body who are going, you're not needed here. And so... If we can understand that is the problem, when we talk about Jew and Gentile or major culture and minor cultures, majority culture and uh, minority culture, if we can talk about that being the issue, I think 19 through 22 is going to give us some insight as to, to what we can know to fight against such an idea. Okay, so let's get out our text. Here it is. Let's start in verse 19. Verse 19 says this. So then, the the then is the responding to the fact that Jesus has brought down the dividing wall of hostility. He has gone out to those who are far off and to those who are near, and he's brought peace. Peace is actually mentioned in Ephesians chapter 2, in this chapter more than any other chapter in all of the Bible. The word peace appears more here than anywhere. So he's brought in peace uh, because of uh, the work of the cross. So then... You are no longer, you is, and let me just stop, (laughs) welcome to a Bible study, okay? You is very specifically referring to the Gentiles, that the people who feel like they're outsiders, the people who are not the people of God, that we will sing in the, uh, we will feast in the house of Zion. The house of Zion is always where the people of God are. That's why Christians today one day will get to sing and feast 
in the house of Zion. We are the house of Zion. Well, the house of Zion was the Jews before Jesus Christ. And so the Gentiles feel like they're not in the house of Zion. So you are, you is, is referring to the Gentiles. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. I don't feel like I belong here. He's brought down the dividing wall of hostility. So hear me. You ready? You are no longer outsiders. You do belong. You're no longer strangers or aliens. I I love how F.F. Bruce says this. Listen to this. The words, no longer strangers and aliens, but citizens, emphasizes the contrast between the rootlessness. I love that language. The rootlessness of a life outside of Christ, outside Christ, and the stability of being a part of God's new society. We no longer live on a passport, but we really have our birth certificates. We really do belong. So all people are now welcome. We're not just outsiders for for Gentile sake. And listen, it's not, and, and you can continue to wrestle with whether or not I should continue to press into the race issue. But man, if we can just say right now, as I said last week, Blacks are meeting together, Hispanics are meeting together, uh, 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 Asians are meeting together, whites are meeting together, and there may be pockets of other races in each one of those different types of churches, but we're, we're racially segregated on Sunday. And as that's true, we feel like if you're white in this room, you walk into an all-black church, you feel out of sorts. And maybe you don't know what that's like, right? Maybe you don't know what it feels like. I don't have this story. I don't have this background. I, I don't know how they sing. I don't know it's okay to, to clap with Lord. We don't know if it's okay to clap at Redemption Peoria. Okay? So, so, so as we, we deal with that feeling like a minority, the language of rootlessness, I think, is super important there. I think, I think it's, it's really, like, let that wash over you to feel like, Man, I don't know this. But maybe as, as you kind of join in, you, you, you immerse yourself with our culture. You'll get wh- how we're talking. You'll get what you're supposed to say. But then the whole body becomes an ear. But we're not eclectic. We're not diverse. But I need you to hear in this first uh, uh, section of verses in 19, I, I, I think there's something worth pointing out. It's the jubilation, the beauty, the joy that should come from this. So as the body comes together, what makes up the body is beautiful. That, that is something to, you're no longer outsiders. So there's three statements that I think um, are, are huge here. Um, the first statement, no longer strangers and aliens. The second statement, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And the third statement, and members of the household of God. I, I want to try to express that joy to you. I need you to get underneath how excited the Gentiles would be to know, wait a minute, we're part of Zion? We have that story. We're, we're not rootless anymore. We don't just live on passports anymore. And the only way I can do this, and you may not like this, as I try to process the best way to, to give you an example of what it would feel like is to think through the way that we, in our context, process the word aliens. And I don't mean, a, I don't mean UFOs. I mean undocumented aliens in our context. Predominantly in our contexts, uh, Mexican-Americans. And, 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 and I want to use um, those of you in the room and those who are undocumented of our brothers and sisters. And I want you to see as an example what they go through, because I think we experience them firsthand. We, 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 we can see this firsthand. And to see what it would be like to be part of a country like America 
And then I think that will give you a taste of what the Jews or what the Gentiles are feeling to be now part of the people of God. Okay? I'm using it by way of example. I do not think that in verse 19 when it says you are no longer strangers and aliens, it is referring to undocumented uh, Mexican-Americans. I do not think that's the case. But I'm using it as an example to unearth the joy that could be felt. Because this is an amazing statement for them to hear. So the first statement says this. You are no longer strangers and aliens. Okay, so check this out. There's two super disrespectful things where I come from that you can do to a man. The first thing is, as you're talking to him, you slap, I'm not even kidding, I've seen this, and it's just like awkward. Slap him in the face and point right at his face. Like I've seen that done playing basketball. This guy, he used more colorful language, but slapped him in the face. He said, don't ever do that again. Way more colorful language. I definitely made that G. But he, he, he pointed right at his face. I mean, you just felt like the guy who got slapped in his face was like, wow, you are nothing. The other thing is, as someone is trying to argue with you, refer to them as if you don't even know. Like, do I know you? Who are you, bro? It's super disrespectful. And, and that second part of who, who are you? Like, who, who, like, do I even know who you are? Like, it's a demeaning lessening of who they are. You don't have the status to be where I am. Can I just say, this is what is going on with the undocumented in our culture. And I think it's subconscious. I don't think it's intentional. But it's language like, no, 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 I have Mexican. And I, this is language that I have heard firsthand. I have Mexican friends. They, they clean my house. They do my yard. It's this, they don't eat at the table with me, but I have them do things for me. Or, no, no, no they can serve us. They, 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 they can work for us, but they don't have citizenship. It's a demeaning. It's a, it's a you're less. You, you, you don't get a social security number. You're here. Okay. The Gentiles would have absolutely felt this. I'm not, like, almost to a T, feeling like, we're Christians, we're Christians. Yeah, you're Christians, but your father is in Abraham. Like, I could trace my lineage all the way back to Noah. Where can you trace your lineage to? There's a, yeah, you're in, but. The second statement, listen to this, but you are, so not just strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. Okay, so uh, um, uh, the Myers community and the, uh, the Toby community, uh, next week, I'll be gone next Sunday, we're going to Mexico to build a house together as, as communities together with, through one mission, which we love. And so we're going to do this. And so, of course, Candace and I waited last minute to get our passports. Keep it real, millennial. Um, okay, so what we did, what we did is um, we had to find a place. We went to go to a courthouse to get it. We have two weeks to get it. Of course, they're like, no, you've got to drive to Tucson. So we spent all Friday we had to drive to Tucson, and we were super flustered. We're bummed out. I, like, it was just, it, that's like a huge study day for me, so we had to rework all these things. So we go down there, and we go in, and all I prayed the night before, and as we went up there, I was, God, please just let this go smooth, because we were told you can get a passport five to eight days, uh, and five to eight days if you expedite it. And so we're like, okay, Lord, please. So we go in. We go through all the, the paperwork. We give them everything that we have. And it all went exactly how it should go. And I just walked out and I was just like, yes. Like the bureaucracy that we felt in the the courthouse that we were at before, just going through the internet, like it felt like we were in a tangled web of mess. And then we walked out and they said, the passport will be there in five days. And it felt like, oh yes, yes. Now that is just a part of feeling this idea that we get to go with the group. We get to serve with the group. We're not trying to get into America. We're trying to get into Mexico. 
okay? So, so can I say this? There is a cohesiveness, a, a, I mean, I'm, and I've watched some videos, you've you got to YouTube some of these things. When someone becomes an American citizen, the, oh my goodness, like I know people who become American citizens who before they were American citizens in Africa thought that they would come here and they were told that money was just in the trash, like, if you needed money, you could just go into the trash can, grab $100 bills, and go buy what you wanted to. That's how big they made America, how flourishing America was. Okay, check this out. The Gentiles were just told something that puts America to shame. America has nothing on the people of God. How excited someone would be to be an American citizen for the Gentiles to hear they are a citizen of the kingdom of God? The jubilation I felt with the passport, imagine what they felt to know you're no longer strangers and aliens. You're citizens. You belong to God. This would be huge for them. Huge. Third statement. Not only that, fellow um, uh, citizens with the saints and members with the household of God. This is important um, because I I don't even want to break down the minority-majority culture. Just here's the reality of it. When it makes a statement and members of the household of God, here's what I know to be true. I've shared this with you. Right now, we have a dog in the Myers household that Sean Myers hates. I can't stand Bruno. I, yep, I love all of creation, and all of life is all for Jesus. But the reality is, Bruno's part of the exile, and he's part of the unregenerate. He's just not going to spend eternity with us, and I know that for, to be true, okay? <laughs> now, here's the deal. The Myers family has a dog, though. If Sean Myers had it his way, the Myers family would not have a dog, okay? Or we would have a dog, but he would be a normal dog, okay? (laughs) But hear me, Sean Myers is part of the Myers family, and the rest of the Myers family wants a dog. So as much as Sean Myers has an individual opinion, that individual opinion succumbs to the Myers as a family opinion. And this is important. This is, this is huge because when it makes the statement, you are members of the household of God. This is Jew and Gentile coming together, right? And so li- listen, there's a few things that, that I wrote down here as a note. Where the Jews had dietary restrictions, the Gentiles, they loved bacon with their eggs. And so there's this, they're coming together, but together you're a household. Where the Jews already knew their story, the Gentiles knew that to, to some extent, um, maybe where they came from, but they were rootless. Remember, that they, they didn't have this background. So they knew where they came from, and they don't know where they came from. Furthermore, the Jews had a story, and the Gentiles were a bunch of mutts, honestly. Just a bunch of rogue, different people put together, and it's different. And so, so can I just say this? Um, as, as we come together, and, and whether that be socioeconomic differences whether that be race differences, this passage is clear. We together are to be in a household. And your opinion, whether you want Bruno or not, comes under what we together are trying to do. So for, for you, like in your house, you grew up to sit down at a table and it was cordial and it was quiet. But for you, it was a free for all. It was, hey, I just, we came to eat. We're going we're gonna to go at it. And we're just going to be there. For you, if, if, if you interrupted someone, it was rude. But for you, if you interrupted someone, it showed a sign of engagement. Like, for you, you grew up watching certain television shows or knowing certain things. And for you, you watched the exact opposite. Maybe you weren't even allowed to watch TV as a kid. 
For you, you were raised in such a way that, that you were, you were um, watching police officers take your parents from you. But for you, your parents were the police officers. For you, you grew up on lunch carts. And for you, your parents complained about all the government handouts. And yet here it is. Let's work together. Let, let's come together. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, barbarian, Scythian, black, white, Hispanic, no matter what your story is, let's come together. We now together make up the household of God. And there are moments where you don't get the option on what dog you get. That's one verse. We got to hurry up. Um, Verse 20 says this, in response to the joy, the beauty that that would be felt um, by the Gentiles, Oh my goodness, I am part of the household of God. This is so good. Together, Jew and Gentile doing this. You ready? Built on the foundation. Now describing that household, he's using this analogy. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. There's two things that I think are really important about this statement. The first one is this. It's really important that we know where we come from. So as believers, we're coming together, right? And we all are trusting, as crazy as this sounds, what these apostles said. If Peter and Paul and John are lying, we've all been tricked. Like even if we say we trust Jesus, we're trusting what these men said about Jesus. And so one, it's really important that we understand why we believe the Bible is the word of God, which we've spent time on on Sunday and had classes for, why we trust what the apostles said and how we articulate all of that. And it all points to the back that, that in the end, we have Jesus. He's the cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets are the foundation. And we're building on top of that. So we, we don't have a Mecca. We, we, we don't have a, a wailing wall. We, we don't have a, uh, and it's not the same, but a Salt Lake City. We don't have these points. No one can say that's the, the, the Mecca of Christianity. That's the, the point where all Christians know. Because it's different, right? You could say maybe it's the Bible Belt. Or maybe it's the southern countries uh, in the world or wherever it is. But, but man, the gospel is so elusive that you can't say, this is where it is. We don't have the tomb, though people think they can find it, have the tomb where Jesus was raised. We don't have that place. We have Jesus, we have the apostles and prophets, and we have each other. That's what we have. And this is the foundation. Now here's the second thing that I think is really awesome about this. Um, I can make a declaration like, man, this is our history. This is our history. This is my history. I can make that declaration, but my neighbor can't. As much as he wants to make that declaration, he's not a believer. And until he becomes a believer, he can't say, no, 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 the Christian history is my history. Now, that may sound like, well, duh, but this is a trip. Listen, just think about this for a second. If you're black in here, you, whether black American or uh, um, you have a black Nigerian or, or wherever you're from, you are, you are forced to, you have a black history. If you are white, you have a white history. Hispanic, a Hispanic history. You can't change that. If you are born poor, okay, you might be able to change your future and make yourself rich, but you were born into poverty. Your past is poverty riddled. You can't change that. What's crazy about this is, No matter what race you are or socioeconomic class you're in, we now all have the same history. So so someone who's African-American or Hispanic or white or wherever you are on that spectrum, you can go, this is, you ready for this? This is crazy. Paul 
is our history. Justin Martyr is our history. Polycarp, our history. Martin Luther, our history. We together can rally around the statements, the apostles, the prophets, and Jesus. And what I love about this is in 2 Thessalonians, uh, in chapter 2, it's the same language here, and it's that word to carry that on as the people of God. That it's built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus himself being the cornerstone, and now we continue to carry that on. And hear me, that should unify us. So, so as we read it, just know, listen, we have the same history. I may have grown up way different than you've grown up, but together we can say, no, 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 this is our history. And the Gentiles can do that now. Before the Jews could only make the declaration, no, no, this is our history. Abraham is our father. In Romans chapter 2, it's so crazy. Paul actually says, he who is a, Je- he who is a Je- uh, Jew is one who is circumcised at heart. So there are actually Jews by blood who are not of the lineage of Isaac because it's through faith that the Gentiles can say, actually, I'm a son of Abraham. You just have blood connection. That's crazy. That's crazy. And so together we get to make this declaration. Together we get to say we are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone. Yes and amen. Finally, verses 21 and 22, in this good news for the Gentiles. In whom, this is talking about Jesus, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Just a quick um, note on this. If you look at verse 22 real quick, you're going to see the word you. I would argue that that you now is going to be an inclusive you for Jew and Gentile. So he's talking to the Gentiles, and he's been talking about there's a dividing wall of hostility. When he makes this declaration, then he's going to go, and this is all of you. I don't know if you see that. In him, you also, okay? Now, there's a few things on this that, that I, I want to know. When it says, in whom the whole structure, let's, let's start getting into the nitty-gritty, okay? Because um, I want to talk Jew and Gentile, but I want you to understand practically what this is going to look like, okay? Because... Um, our Sunday mornings are always going to look like our Saturday nights. And when you get someone together that is not like you, as I ended last week in saying, it's hard to make friends as an adult. And it's even harder when, you've, when you're trying to make friends with someone you have nothing in common with. So imagine a 25, 35, 45, 55-year-old Hispanic American, or a 25, 35, 45, 55-year-old uh, Caucasian American. They now want to have dinner together. And as they have dinner together, they're going to have different ways of even doing that. They're going to have different political bends. They're going to have different ways to to understand how to raise their children. And now they're coming together. And hear me, that's difficult. That's extremely difficult. And it's worth understanding that if Jesus is the cornerstone, and the apostles and prophets are the foundation, we have, if we can't do this well with the vertical gospel, we have a structural issue. There's something structural. If it's cosmetic, then we don't got to talk about race for three weeks. If it was cosmetic, then it wouldn't be so hard for you to sit and listen to the strugglings of minorities. But it's a structural issue. My mother-in-law, Dawn, she did real estate for a while. And one of the houses she had to show was a, a foreclosure. And the people were so angry that their house went into foreclosure, they poured cement down all the drains and toilets. Okay? So check this out. You want to buy that house? <laughs> You're starting over. Okay? The reality is, if, if the problem is that bad, you better really want that house. Or they're going to pay you to take it. Either one. I don't know. 
So, so when you go, I want this, this is worth it. If this is a foundational, a structural thing, if we are household together, just hear me, we have to address the structural issues. We ain't putting up a painting and pretending there, there's a hole in the wall. That's not the problem. There's something deeper going on as to why it's not easy to rally around Jesus Christ alone. That, that, that someone not like you can't bring all the way they view the world and you view yourself through a liberal Republican bent and you just feel like, oh, we can't do this. That's a structural issue. There's something wrong there. And this is what the Jews and the Gentiles have. They have structural issues. The Jews, it's not that, as I read last week, like, it's not that they just kind of don't like the Gentiles. They hate them. There's something deep within them they have not had to wrestle with yet. And what we're trying to do as we read this part of Ephesians is wrestle with what is inside of us. Why? Why why do I not want to push past these differences? So, again, there's a structural, but there's also this language, which I think is extremely helpful, that we are being joined together. So, in whom the whole structure, talking about um, the body of Christ and the foundation of the apostles and prophets, where Jesus himself is the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple, uh, holy temple, a holy temple in the Lord. Um, okay, this is where we're, we're going to start to wind down. I, I've tried to think through um, the best way to explain how, um, how ferocious this one, it's one word in Greek. Being joined together is one word in Greek. How ferocious this word really is. And there's only two examples I can find in systematic theology and biblical theology to explain this. Now, the, the word put together in Greek is sin harmus, which is simply sin is where we get our word synonym from. And harmus is where we get our word harmony from. And it's these words mashed together. Now, if you think of synonyms, this is important for both. Synonyms are different words that have the same meaning or like mean close to the same thing, right? That's why it's a synonym. Harmony are multiple things working in congruence with one another. And so what's happening is, it's again, not a call to oneness or sameness. That's not what the call is. The call is, be where you've come from. Have the background that you have. The views that you have as you are being formed in the image of Jesus Christ. Bring those to the table. Because I've got things that i got to go, man, I, I agree with that, but I don't agree with that. And we are rallying around the cornerstone. Jesus being the cornerstone. And together we are like synonyms. We're different, but we have the same meaning. We are working in harmony. Different things working in congruence with one another. There's only two examples that I see that um, Paul is calling the body of Christ to be in this. In systematic theology, it's called the Trinity. It's the only way that I can see this type of language. That there is one God. There are three persons one God, each person is fully God. Believe me, we've got classes on things like this. So when we make a declaration like this, there's an equation, almost apples for apples, to say, like this, be joined together. The second one is we're actually going to talk about it, and it's in biblical theology. It's in Ephesians chapter 5. Be joined together is the same language that we use for marriage. We're, we're going to talk about this, that two people would become one person. That this is a mystery. It's referring to Christ and his church. And so together, we are coming in covenant with one another. Listen, this is important. And I know not everyone in the room is married. But, but what you find out real quickly when you get married is you've got different ways of doing things. 
way different ways of doing things, right? So, um, well, I, I could use Candace and I, but let me use the Tobies. They're, they're in here somewhere because it's a lot better, okay? So, so here's, here's the deal. Um, Tim and Kim, right? I didn't even ask if I could do this, so Tim is... <laughs> no, here's, here's what I love about Tim and Kim, okay? They, they are definitely two different people. What I've learned to come and uh, know about Tim is I'm far more like Kim. Tim takes about an hour to process any question you can give him. Tim, what do you want for lunch? One hour later. Hey, Chipotle. It's like, bro, we, we've already eaten. What do you mean? Like... <laughs> Okay, so he takes a really long time where Kim is, from what I understand, far more of a a quick, a quicker processor than I am. Right now, listen, they're not living in harmony with one another unless they know, understand and believe structurally we're fighting for this. We're fighting for this for for Kim. There has to be moments of I've got to give him time to process. And for Tim, there has to be moments. Okay, I need to work through this because I know Kim is being patient. And the beauty of what this looks like is, that's what the church has been called to. See, here's, here's my frustration in all this. I don't know if we believe at our core that the same spirit that is talking to you is talking to your brother and sister in Christ. Like, I don't know if, like, I think we practically believe that, but I don't know if it comes down to the nuts and bolts of all of it. I don't know if you honestly believe that God is actually speaking to them. He's using them. And until the Gentile believes they are wanted and needed, and not just in a demeaning way, but their opinion matters, and until the Jew knows and believes, I need the Gentile, we are not going to be joined together. We're not. We're not going to be joined together. It's always going to be a handout. Uh, give them a moment. I joked last week, like, the answer is not bringing up a mariachi band Sunday. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what does our church look like with giving all races equal voice, giving all socioeconomic classes equal voice. And you can think, well, we should do that. We don't, though, you guys. And, and some of that is on the elders, the leaders. Some of that's on our communities. Some of that's on you. That it's easier to hang out with people who have the same similar background as you do. It's hard to rally around and become friends with someone not like you. But as a body, brothers and sisters in Christ, we're to be joined together. And this last statement, I love. Um, I, I want to say something too, actually, on this being joined together. There's a real practical example of this as I talk about marriage uh, for this. A, a clear example of, of what this would look like is honestly interracial marriage. Because here's the reality. Marriage is already difficult. So when you have marriage, it's already tough. You're already going to have problems that you disagree and everyone was, is going to deal with those issues. But interracial marriages, if, if, a, if a black man marries a white woman or a black woman marries a Hispanic man or whatever it is, as they come together, there's not just like external pressures that wouldn't be in just people of the same homogenized uh, race, but there's people who on the outside would like don't like interracial marriage they're going to feel that pressure that they don't feel furthermore they're going to feel internal pressure meaning just the reality is someone from a different race is going to be raised differently than someone of that other race and so now they don't just have if candace and i come together we're two white people caucasian similar backgrounds we as we come together the thing that we've argued most about is our socioeconomic upbringings we don't ever argue about like well this is how i did it my family racially like, this is what, this is how my, and, it, and it's a symbol of my race. No, we, we, we and so, so interracial marriage, which I believe is a sign of the coming of the kingdom of God, as people come together, there's already, and so imagine, already trying to be brothers and sisters in Christ is difficult enough. Yes and amen? Now be brothers and sisters with someone not like you, and it only ups the ante. But I think there's a beauty to that. I think that's what God has called us to.
Here's the last statement, and I will, uh, I'll wrap this thing up. Being joined together. So again, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together, or joined together, being built together into, and then here's the language, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is real simple. Let me just make a quick declaration in unity. Um, places don't have spirits, and I don't mean demonic spirits. I mean a spirit. Centennial does not have a spirit dwelling within it. Um, people groups do not even have a spirit dwelling within them. A spirit dwells in individuals. Now, what's so mind-blowing about this is the Holy Spirit dwells as are the church's spirit. And so there is a unity that together as one man in Christ, we come together, we have the same spirit. Which leads me in closing to a statement that the Reformed community has used for a long time. And I want to put it in front of you because you might not be familiar with it. And I think it's extremely helpful. And this is the most practical I can get for us in how to make really solid steps without actually giving you, hey, this so-and-so, meet with them at 7 o'clock. These are, this is handlebars. There's an old statement. It was uh, by the Puritans. And ultimately, it was coined by Richard Baxter. Um, and in and, and, and one of his books. But anyway, um, here's the statement. The first part of this statement is unity in essentials. It's a reform statement. This came from the Puritans. If we want to do this together, we have to unify around the essentials. So, so you can look at your brother and sister in Christ. Do you believe the Bible is the word of God? Do you believe in the Trinity? Do you believe that Jesus was both fully God and fully man in heaven and hell? Do you believe in one holy church? We, we rally around those things. We don't rally around President Trump. We pray for President Trump. We pray God would use President Trump in, in God-honoring ways. But we don't rally around him. We don't rally around him. That is not what we do. We rally around the essentials. Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. So, so you can look at your brothers. I may disagree but essentials, essentials. Do you have that in common? The second part of this statement is unity in essentials, liberty in non-essentials. Let there be freedom in that you are in your community with someone who did or did not vote for Trump. Now, let's just go theological. You're in community with someone who does not believe the way the world is going to end, doesn't believe it as you believe it has a different, different eschatology. Maybe even a, a different the way that the world began. Maybe their, their gift of the spirits. These are non-essentials. Let there be freedom. Let there be freedom in that they don't eat like you. They don't talk like you. They interrupt. They don't interrupt. They're too quiet. They're too loud. Look at me. Liberty. Freedom in that. Allow our brothers and sisters to be free and operate in that way. I think this is how we can begin to join together. And lastly, so uh, unity in essentials, liberty in non-essentials, and charity in all things. Let love permeate all that we do. You may feel like when the rub comes, you don't want to react the right way, and you probably, your first inclination is probably wrong. Charity, love, respond in love. They, they don't have the same story as you. Respond in in love. Try to understand why there's fear. Try to understand why there's, there's a separation. Try to understand why there's even hatred. 
Be there. Love your brothers and sisters in it, not from afar. So my prayer is unity and essentials, liberty and non-essentials, charity in all things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that this declaration can be made for all of us, that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we are fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God. This household is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, we also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Jesus, thank you for that reminder. Thank you that you are our cornerstone. You have given us the apostles and the prophets as a foundation and now we get to build on that foundation. And the bricks are a different color, they're different textures, but we're making a household. And it's worth fighting for. No much cement has gone down those pipes. We have structural issues we want to fight for. We believe that you have brought this house together. Thank you for calling us to this task. It is not easy. And so I pray a blessing and an encouragement on a few things over Redemption Peoria. One, I pray for patience. Give us patience. Two, I pray for joy. I pray that you would give us joy in celebrating each other's differences. Three, I pray for love. I pray, God, that you would give us the ability to love in really difficult times and in difficult ways. Show us what that means. It's not easy. Help us. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.